Great, look great. Grab your Bibles. We're in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. I'll talk about uh, the change man stuff in just one second. I've got a, a little bit of business to handle first. Um, first of all, we've got some very special guests with us right here on the front row. We've got pastors literally from all over the country in um, what's called a leadership cohort. Cohort is Latin for men with beards, I think. And they gather together and talk about church things. And so Pastor Ryan Stone is a part of this leadership um, cohort. So we've had these guys in town. And we just want to welcome you guys and, and hope that, that your experience here has been great. And also that maybe tonight you can just worship and relax and you're not in charge of anything. And it's also a little intimidating for me to preach with you guys on the front row. Particularly because of the two guys that run this cohort. Um, uh, we have Pastor Kevin Peck from the Austin Stone. He's one of the lead pastors there. It's a big old mega monster church in Austin, Texas, and then also uh, one of the lead pastors at the Village Church, Pastor Josh Patterson, and they they run this deal, and and um, they're part of the Acts 29 network, which we are too, and I just want to thank you guys so much for the influence that you have been in our lives, and, and your, your churches have plenty to do, and yet you find time to help us in children's ministry, and student ministry, and building this building, and how we organize and set up leadership and all kinds of things that we do here in the life of our church. And because you have been so generous to us, it's been a great model for us to try to be generous to other churches. And we thank you very much. And so, 1122, we just welcome these guys. And thank you, thank you, thank you. And then also a little family business. We've got in addition to the, uh, to the staff family, uh, Clifton and Katie Stanton, Stanton mostly Katie, uh, gave birth. This is baby CJ. I understand that Katie was in labor for about three and a half months or 32 hours or something ridiculous like that. Uh, CJ or Kate James is seven pounds, four ounces. She's 20 and one half inches long. I think this is the only time you're allowed to announce a girl's weight, right? Wouldn't that be weird if you're like, welcome to staff Sally. She's 133, you know, you can't do that. So she was born on 1-23, which if you're at 7-22 is today, and if you're at 11-22 or 9 or 5-22 was a few days ago. But just be in prayer for them. Everything's happy and healthy and whole, and we, we welcome uh, a new one into our family. Okay, hopefully you found Acts 26 by now. If not, just give up and open up your bulletin and try it there. We're in week three of this three-week series that we've been on called A Changed Man. And if you've been wondering why we're, we're showing the Ron Gibson story, here's why. Because as we've been studying the life of Paul, we, we've, we've, we've taken his testimony or his story of life change, and we've looked at it in three weeks. What was my life like before I met Jesus? He was a religious terrorist, a Pharisee. He had rejected God through both rebellion and religion. And so he was, he was kind of every man in here, every woman in here. If you think you're bad, Paul was worse. If you think you're good, Paul was better. And yet God saved me. And then in the second week, we looked at redemption, how Jesus saved Paul. And then this week, we're going to look at the truth that not only are we saved from something, but we're saved to something. That we're saved from sin and death, but we're saved to a life on mission. Now, here's the danger. As we look at the life of Paul, you might think, well, I can't relate to that dude, okay, because I wasn't a terrorist, and I'm not going to be a church planner, all right, I'm just kind of a right in the middle, like, I, I was a banker, and then I got saved, and I'm still a banker, and so, what about me? Well, that was the beautiful story of my dear friend, Ron Gibson. Before Ron Gibson met Jesus, he was a good dad, 
He was a good husband, and he was a he was a hunting and fishing guy. And then, when he met Jesus, he was a good dad. He's a good husband, and he's a hunting fishing guy with some purpose now. And so, on the outside, um, it, it's not like his vocation changed or any of that kind of thing. But from an internal and eternal perspective, the trajectory of his life changed forever and. What he began to do day after day after day is to see that every time that the Lord woke him up, he had something for him to do. And he was leveraging right where he is in his current role at Cabin Bluff. And he's leveraging it for the kingdom. And so can you. And so, Acts chapter 26, we're going to begin in verse, in verse 16, just to kind of catch you up. Um, we covered 16 last week, but we'll, we'll pick it up there just to... So you can remember. So this is Jesus talking to Paul. <clears throat> He's given his, him his kind of his mission statement here. And Jesus says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. You see, now uh, Paul's got some purpose. You see, now Ron Gibson has purpose. Before Jesus, Ron wasn't bad. He was just dead. And now he's alive and he's alive with Purpose, And the same thing's true with Paul. So he says, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If you'll remember, the last two weeks, week one we talked about how Paul rejected God, and that we all reject God. And when we reject God, we tend to turn to things like ourselves, approval of others, religion, the things of this world. And that's all of our story, Paul laid it out to. And then in the second week, it, it was how, how Paul was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That it was through Christ's death and resurrection that was, Paul was saved. Not, not through any of his own works, but by the work done by Christ on the cross. And he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And remember, Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. And Paul wasn't looking for church the way you look for church. Like you're looking for one to attend and to join and to get involved in. He was looking for, to, for one to kill and to wipe out and make it not be a church anymore. Totally different way to look for church. And even in Paul's worst moment, in his darkest moment... Jesus pursues Paul, opens his eyes, softens his heart, draws him unto himself. Remember this? He justifies him by the gospel. And not just justifies him, but sanctifies him. Makes him more and more and more like Jesus. And then the craziest thing of all, adopts him and us into his family. And then lets us know that we're not just saved from death, but we're saved for a purpose. And he lays that out for us. He says, Paul, you are going to be saved for the mission of God. That I didn't just save you for you. Because if that were the case, I'd just kill you and bring you on home right now. But I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you and then immediately make you a part of the rescue team. And so for the rest of Paul's life, that's what he sets out to do. And so you pick it up in verse 19. Therefore, now this is Paul talking. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Listen, church. Obedience matters. Obedience matters. 
I hope and pray that you have incredible experiences with God. I hope and pray that you experience the manifest presence of God. I hope that the worship services you attend and the times where we're in here and we're glorifying the Lord, I hope they're rich and I hope they move you um, in, in emotion and feeling. And I hope all that's part of it too. But obedience matters. In fact, it's one of the few things that we can give to God. Jesus says, if you really love me, you will obey my commandments. Not just believe all the right things. Not just sing all the right songs. Not just attend all the right programs. But obedience matters. And so Paul says, therefore, O King Agrippa, since Christ opened my eyes, redeemed me, sanctified me, adopted me into his family, therefore I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So this isn't begrudging submission to an almighty God that will squish you if you don't obey. But this was joyful obedience to a loving Father that has called you and saved you and set you on fire for a purpose. Not only for His glory, but also for your joy. So one of the questions I get all the time is how do I know what God's will is for my life? Especially from our, you know, college and 20-year-olds and sometimes 30 and 40 and 50. How do I know what God's will is for my life? Well, one thing you could do is you can just check out God's general will for all of us that would call Him Lord and Savior. And so you can go to things like the Great Commission where, where Jesus says to all of us, you know, if you're a Christian, if you call Christ your Savior and Lord, then His will for your life is to go and to make disciples wherever you're on the go. That's a part of His will for your life. Or you could go to Acts 1.8, and I don't know if you remember this, but the very first sermon we preached in Acts, it feels like it was eight years ago, doesn't it? I, I know we're only a year and a half old, but the first sermon we preached in Acts was Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And then he lists a bunch of places. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know what, you know what God's will for your life is? That you would make disciples. God's will for your life is that, that you would be a witness for him. Or you could look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, okay, if you're a Christian, if you're going to be a Christ follower, if Jesus is Lord of your life, then that means you're like, you're like a city on a hill and that you've been placed on purpose. Or you're like a light in this world and nobody would light a light and then put it under a lampstand. The implications are that when, when Christ entered your life, when you be, became a spirit-filled Christian follower of Jesus, that where you have been placed is because God placed you there on purpose. And the purpose wasn't about you, but the purpose was about making disciples, about being a witness. Or the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as he's training up Timothy, this young pastor, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he tells Timothy to fulfill your ministry. Now, the circumstances may be different, but your ministry is the same. And it's this, it's to make disciples. It's to be a witness. So the implications are, if you're a Christian, then, then you are a minister, you are a missionary, no matter where you are. And what we want to do at the Church of 1122, there will be a few of you here. There will be some of you here that we will raise up, that will go into church leadership, that will raise up to be church planners, that will be raised up to be missionaries, you know, to the, to the unreached people groups. And we'll do all that, praise God. But the majority of you will just be raised up to be missionaries right where you worked today. 
or be missionaries to your classroom or to be on mission in your neighborhood. But the key here is to know that the mission is the same as to make disciples, to lead people to know Jesus. But the way you do it will just depend on who you are and how God's created you. That's what Paul means when he says to fulfill your ministry. So the worst thing in the world that you could do is go out and just try to be me. That'd be a horrible idea. If you show up tomorrow at work and say, Attention! I've got an announcement to make. If you've got your Bibles, open them. It's like, what? what? Here's, i got three points. Point one, you are a wretched, black-hearted sinner. Everybody's going to look at you like you're crazy, right? Step two, if you don't go on a mission trip and sponsor a compassion kid, you don't love Jesus. And then three, I'll be in the retention pond in my duck waders for anybody that would like to be baptized. Okay? You, it's, just, it's just, you can't do that. Why? Because that's... Unless God calls you to, and if he does, then God bless your ministry, all right? The key is to know that that God has not only saved you from, but saved you to something. And so the circumstances could be all different all over the board. But the key is is that God has you on a mission. And what you and I have to do is pray like crazy and listen to the still small voice of God, and then just be obedient to whatever He has called and commanded us to do. And so that means, that means that we send you out on mission, on your construction jobs, and in your classrooms, and on the football field, and in your businesses, and wherever that is, wherever that is. I mean, the guy that led me to Jesus was a JV football coach, a JV football coach. You know what? He coached with a purpose. And his purpose wasn't to win games. Even though the last year he coached before he went to be with the Lord, he won the state championship. Probably because he was the toughest man I've ever met in my life. I mean, holy moly, you'd be just scared to death, right? But he loved us and he loved Jesus. And so no matter where he was, he was on mission. So that's what that's what Paul's saying here. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, also to the Gentiles. You see, essentially what Paul is doing here is he's saying, hey, I'm fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8, even though I was an enemy of God when Acts 1, 8 was happening. So wherever he was, he was on mission. That they should repent and turn to God. Performing deeds, keeping with their repentance. In other words, Paul said, let me just make this simple. Here's my mission. I I want to introduce people to Jesus. I want people to believe in Jesus, surrender to Jesus, and then act like it. And the two cannot be divorced. Now, it doesn't go the other way. It's not an outside-in salvation. Because what happens, and especially especially his, his pharisaical background... What he had been brought up is it was an outside-in kind of religion or mentality. That, that what you do to be right with God is you get hold of your sin, and for the rest of your life, under your own power, you just practice sin management. Right? You just try not to do bad, and you try to do good. And we've talked about this over and over and over. If you've gone down that road of religion before, it is exhausting, and it is frustrating. And you'll hate everybody around you because you want to do all the fun stuff they're doing. But the church wouldn't let you. But what Paul is saying here is, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. 
I'm talking about that people would repent, turn to God, that they would surrender their life to Jesus, and then Jesus in them would begin to work his way to the outside. And the people would be able to walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for them. And then this relationship with the Lord is an inside-out thing, not an outside-in thing. But it's not, it's not about church attendance and, and, and stopping bad behavior and improving good behavior. But it's about what Jesus would say in John 15. It's about abiding in Him. That you would turn to Him in every place in your life. And as you turn to Him, the things of this world grow strangely dim. As you abide in Him, then He begins to give you everything you need so that His fruit, not your fruit, begin to show up on the outside. And so Paul says, that essentially is, is my mission, that I would, just, I would just ask people to surrender their life to Jesus and then act like it, or in his words, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Verse 21. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Now, newsflash, if you get serious about your relationship with Jesus, this world will not approve of you. I mean, if you get serious about the mission of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said that, that this world will hate you. Now, I'm not talking about the casual church attender, all right? Because you just casually attend church, but still uh, just buy into the value system of this world, and you won't be separate or different from this world, and actually you'll fit right in. And the crazy thing is, if you fit right into this world, then that might be evidence that you're serving the wrong king. So Paul says, because I get serious about this mission, the religious people around me, they have come against me. I said this last week, I'll say it again. You want to ruin your relationships with religious people, you get really, really close to Jesus. Because when you make it about a relationship with him and not about rule following, it really ticks off the religious people. All right? It's why, you know, super religious folks don't really stick around our church for a long time, right? Because they ask me, like, when are you going to preach sermons about not drinking beer? I go, oh, boy. Um, well, I agree. You shouldn't drink too much, okay? That's one. Uh, and you should never put fruit in your beer. That's a sin, I'm pretty sure. But we're, that's not really what it's about. It's about abiding in Christ. And if the enemy has thrown that lure of alcoholism in front of you, then by, by abiding in him, by being surrounded by accountability and brothers and sisters that are going to point out those blind spots in you, by um, pursuing wisdom and avoiding those slippery places because you don't want to fall down, if that's you, then yeah, you should, you should flee. But, but this isn't going to be like rules-based religion. This is going to be about abiding in Jesus. Verse 22. So he says, he says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Now, as I was sitting at Cabin Bluff in a tree stand, reading this, that just that phrase from Paul, I mean, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Listen to this. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. <laughs> now, if you're honest about the Bible, wouldn't you lean in and go, Hey, Paul, you're on trial right now. I don't think you can say that. 
I mean, if you just won the lottery and got a Cadillac and bought a big mansion or your church is exploding or your ministry is going real well or you published, you know, the book of Romans and it was a bestseller, then you could say, I, you know, I've got the help from God. So how can you, with a straight face, say that to this day I've had this help that comes from God? And so I, I get this feeling, at, this conversation is not in the scripture, okay? I'm just making it up. But if I'm there and I'm a soldier, I'm going, time out, Paul, you, you've lost your mind. I mean, you're joking, right? You're on trial. You're on your way to prison. Where's God helping you? Like, your external circumstances look like everything's going wrong, and yet I'm strangely jealous of you. Because you had this peace that surpasses understanding. You ever been around people like that? If you haven't, it's why you need to go on a mission trip with us. Because here's what happens, okay? You're going to go on a mission trip, and you think you're awesome. When you sign up for a mission trip, you're like, I am pretty awesome. All right, I am taking the gospel. All right, Matthew 28, the Great Commission lives in me. We're gone. And you get on the plane, and you're just pondering all these incredible things you're going to do for these poor people around the world. And you've got your whatever, you're going to paint a school or whatever you're going to do. It's going to be awesome. And then you get there and you walk into a little, it depends on where you are, a little tiny house, hut. Could be dirt floors or dirt walls, thatch roof, just depends on where you are. And you walk in and you are thinking, wow, these people have nothing except satellite TV. I don't know how satellite TVs are in like mud huts. Oh, they are, though, aren't they? It's amazing. they got three channels and they're all soccer, so it's not good. But you go there. And you see these people, and they got, they've got almost nothing. But you'll be in these people's homes, and they have Jesus. And they know the secret of being content in all situations. And you're strangely jealous of the simplicity of their life. See, I just got to imagine that as, you're, as, as Paul is giving his defense and he's talking about the help that comes from God, that these soldiers are looking at him and at first on the surface go, how could you even say that? Your life's a train wreck, a train wreck. You're going to prison, you're going to die. This is not going to end well for you. And yet that doesn't even matter to Paul. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, we have these handles on us that the world can grab onto. Sex, money, pleasure, status, salary, whatever it is. But, but when the world tries to reach out and grab onto Paul, all of his handles have fallen off. It's like the world can't grab onto him because this world has nothing for him. Because his secret to being content in all situations is not really that big of a secret anymore. It's Jesus. And Jesus is his treasure. And there are no more treasures of this world that he's even into. So we've talked about it a hundred times before. You know how frustrating it must be for the soldiers to try to punish Paul? Paul, we're going to put you in prison. Sweet. I haven't led a jailer to Christ lately. Let's do it. Okay? Okay. Well, then we're going to beat you with a whip. Praise the Lord. I consider it joy when I endure suffering. All right. Well, then we're going to kill you. Awesome. I'll be face to face with Jesus. To die is gain. All right. We'll let you live. Sweet. To live is Christ. I'll just lead you to Jesus. <laughs> what do you do with that guy? He's untouchable. He's untouchable. And a part of the reason he's untouchable is because he's tasted of all the things of this world. All of the things of this world. And he knows it's nothing. It's nothing. You know in Philippians what he calls it, right? Rubbish. 
The Greek word is, remember it? Scubulon, all right? Slang for animal dung. Now, where I'm from, we don't call that rubbish. Unless you're British. Nobody's ever been like, ooh, I've stepped in rubbish. No. <laughs> First word's bull. Second word, we don't say here, right? That's what it is. And so Paul, the guy that's in this situation, later writes, I consider all of that stuff, all of the things of this world, BS, bull scubulon, in light of who Jesus is, because he's more than enough. You see, that's how he can live on mission. That's how he can live for the approval of God alone. That's how he can say in Galatians, am I still seeking the approval of God or man? Because the approval of man is like nothing to me anymore. But I just want to live, I want to live my life for the approval of God and God alone. And if this, if this attempt to spread the gospel around the world works, praise God. And if it gets me killed, praise God. I don't care because I'm just going to be relentless, relentlessly obedient to whatever it is that he's called me to do. Because I'm just going to be obedient. Whether it succeeds or fails, that's up to the Lord. So I met with a group of people in our church today. And they are living this out. There's a group of people, I don't know, it's like four or five of them, and they've gotten all excited about what we're doing and about trying to, trying to actually live out the Great Commission here in our church, and they want to start a new organization called Mission Air. And listen, here's what they want to do. They want to start their own airline, our people, 1122ers. They've looked at the logistics of going on mission trips and say, it takes too long to get there, it's too expensive, and you can't actually get to the unreached people groups because Delta doesn't fly a lot of people there. So it makes it a little difficult. And so they're putting together a business model and a plan that says, so what we'll do is buy a jet airplane. That's crazy, isn't it? And awesome, isn't it? So that we can, we can uh, fuel ministry and missions and, and actually put feet to the Great Commission by taking churches and taking mission trips to wherever they need to go. Man, that's some Pauline kind of missiology right there. That's some people looking at them going, Hey, you crazy. What is wrong with you? Paul would be like, I know, it is crazy, right? But here's the thing. Jimmy cracks corn and I don't care. Because the Lord told me to do this. So my call is to be obedient to whatever he's called me to do. And if it succeeds, praise God. And if he kills me, praise God. It doesn't matter because the results are up to him. See... It, it, it kind of reminds me, if, you, if we were to go back to, to Acts chapter 5, and, and remember when Gamaliel gave his advice? Remember they, they arrested Peter and John, and they, Peter and John weren't talking about what they believed, but they wouldn't shut up about what they've seen and heard. And the Pharisees were like, you got to shut up, or we're going we're gonna to whip you, put you in jail. And then Gamaliel comes in. Gamaliel was actually the guy that trained Paul, so this is probably where he gets a part of this attitude from. And Gamaliel said, here's what we're going to do with these, these followers of the way, these followers of Jesus. We're not going to do anything. Everybody's like, what? It took us forever to arrest them. What are you talking about? They do nothing. He goes, well, listen. If what they're doing is of their own accord, it'll fizzle out anyway. But if this is of God, you couldn't stop it if you tried. So this is the Apostle Paul here. He's saying, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Listen. I mean, this is just the truth. That, that God will always give you whatever you need to accomplish what he has called you to do. That God will always provide whatever you need to accomplish whatever He has called you to do. You know how I know this?
because we planted the church in 722. <laughs> I was signing leases before we had anything. We didn't even know. I remember leaning over to our elder, Lars Peterson, and I'm signing this. I go, so what happens if we don't actually come through on any of this? He, was like, he said, they'll come after everything you have. And I'd be like, awesome. I'll be out literally dozens of dollars. I think I'll be fine. <laughs> right? And you know what God did? That his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And life is walking in that abundant life of whatever God has called you to do. So when the people in our church come with this idea for Mission Air, and they go, what do you think? I go, hey, I, I think this. That if this is God calling you to do this, that he's, if it's his, his deal, then, then he, I think he can handle it. If you've got a resource problem, he doesn't. You've got a people problem, he doesn't. You've got a courage problem, he doesn't. And he will give you whatever you need to accomplish, not what you want to do. You see, a lot of times as evangelicals, what we like to do is to come up with a plan and then uh, do the Tickle Me Jabez prayer and get God to come and bless our idea. And in that situation, who's the Lord and who's the servant? Come on, God, you owe me this, right? Because this is about the kingdom. No, this is really about you. And what we do as servants of the Most High God is that he's the Lord. And when you do this the way Paul did, does this, when you get a vision from God, when you get on board with what he is commanding us to do, then you can trust him for the provision for whatever you need to accomplish whatever he has called and commanded you to do. So if it's true that you've been placed on purpose, and if it's true that you're supposed to make disciples, and if it's true that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be a witness no matter where you are, then what is it that you need? What is it that you need from Jesus to accomplish what He has called you to do? Is it courage? Is it resources? Is it the right words? Because you know Jesus Himself promises that you don't have to worry about the words you've got to come up with because He will come through. And I only experience it weekly. You say, come on, Lord. You, you know, I'll stand up there and move my mouth and, 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 you, and you work. He does it over and over and over. And so Paul, on trial, in prison, locked up in chains, says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. You see, um, Paul did let, not let his external circumstances determine his condition. But he put his hope in the only true source of hope, which is Jesus. And, and when everything else in this world was changing, he knew that Jesus wasn't changing. And so that's where his hope was found. And so he could say this, to this day I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. In other words, Paul said, I'm just doing what the book says. I don't know why the Pharisees were getting all freaked out that there would be a Christ who would be crucified, dead, and resurrected on the third day. I mean, Moses talked about it. Adam and Eve painted a picture of it when there was a, a, an animal was slain and blood was shed so that they could be covered. That the Passover talked about it. When, when they took a, this perfect spotless lamb and they sacrificed it and they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost of the house so when the angel of death came over that he passed over anyone that had the blood of the spotless lamb on the doorpost of their home. 
that the priest pointed to it every year on the Day of Atonement when they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would sacrifice that animal and they would sprinkle, they would sprinkle the blood of that animal on the Ark of the Covenant to cover over the broken laws or to cover over our sin. John the Baptist, who everybody here respected, do you remember when he spoke of it? Remember that day out at the River Jordan when he said, Behold, which is, hey, listen up, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the entire world. Paul says, I don't know what everybody's freaking out about. I'm just doing what the book says. By the way, that's how we've tried to run our church. We just try to do what it says. You know why we have elders and deacons in our church? Because I was reading through the book and I saw elders and deacons. I thought we ought to have those. (laughs) You know why we have a needs board out here? Because when we were studying Acts chapter 2 and the Bible said that there was not a need among them, it didn't mention any programs or governmental assistance. And so we thought, we'll just list all the needs out there on the needs board and our people can just go out there and meet one another's needs. We didn't make it up. We just read it out of the book. And so that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, so I stand here testifying, both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, that he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. In other words, anytime Paul gets the opportunity to speak, It's always about the gospel, and it's always the gospel for all people. Look, that's why this church is a movement for all people, all kind of people, all color people, all backgrounds of people. Whether you grew up in church, I'm talking about you were, you know, born at the altar, came out with your hands up crying, hallelujah, all right? (laughs) Or you were far from God, and the first time you ever came in here, you were kind of freaking out a little bit, all right? We're a movement for all people. Why? Because the gospel is for all people. That's what Paul says here. He's saying it's for our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24. And as he's saying these things in his defense, Festus, which is one of my favorite biblical names, by the way. Got a ring to it. I'm telling you, if if you're pregnant and you're looking for Bible names for your children, Festus should be at the top of the list. Okay. So Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. In other words, Paul is like, what are you talking about, out of my mind? I'm not even talking about what I believe, because people believe all kind of crazy stuff. I'm talking about things that actually happened. I'm talking about a man that was born and walked around this earth and claimed to be God and forgive sins. I'm talking about a man that would walk up to dead people and make them not dead anymore. I'm talking about a man that, that said, I'm going to go and die on the cross, and three days later, I'm going to get up from the grave. And then I'm talking about a man that we all saw walking around the town he got killed in. Three days later, he's walking around, eating dinner and going fishing, hanging out, eating breakfast with his boys appearing to over 500 people for 40 days. And then I'm talking about a guy that commissioned us to go out and spread the gospel and then floated up into the air. That's what I'm talking about. And still, people didn't believe, right? So I'm not talking about just believe. I'm talking about I was on a horse going to Damascus. Ask the people with me. Everybody got kicked off the horse. And then this is what he said to me, and he changed my life. 
Listen, um, if you think you got to check your brain at the door when you come into church, then you don't understand the claims of Christ whatsoever. That our, that, that our faith in Jesus is not even rooted in a belief system. It's rooted in an event. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul's saying, hey listen, I'm, I'm speaking true and rational words. Verse 26. Now this part just gets crazy. I mean crazy. If you take this, if you take the Bible seriously, you would just laugh at this. You're like, this can, how could this even happen? Verse 26. For the, this is Paul speaking. For the king knows about these things. This is King Agrippa. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Now, this is going to be the immediate application of everything he's been talking about. So Paul just said, um, I, I was dead before Jesus. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He redeemed me. He saved me not only from sin and death, but he saved me for a purpose. And the purpose that he saved me to was to make disciples to spread the gospel. And so wherever I go, I'm on mission. Oh, here I am, so I might as well share the gospel with you. And so he's on trial for sharing the gospel. And then while on trial, he's going to share the gospel, which is why he's on trial. Do you see how crazy this is? And so he turns to King Agrippa. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I mean, that's crazy. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, Paul essentially goes, I don't care how long it takes. You know, I got all day. Where am I going to go? I'm locked up. So whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And if you're there, I mean, if you're like Paul's attorney, you'd go, um, can we have a recess, please? My client's kind of losing his mind. Paul, what are you doing? Paul's going, are you kidding me? I've been placed on purpose for this time right now to spread the gospel. And you go, Paul, I don't know if this is the most effective situation in which you share the gospel. Paul would reply, bro, it ain't up to me. I can't transform a heart. That's why, that's why I can even play this game. Because God saves. So I know it's not in vain for me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody that has ears to hear. And the same thing is true for you and for me. And I know there are times where you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you know you're supposed to be a witness and you kind of back up a little bit because you think this might cost me too much. Only if the things of this world are important to you. Only if we live for the treasures of this world. And I'm just going to tell you, if you've ever had the experience of being brave enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone at the prompting of the Holy Spirit and then watch God soften their heart because they because here's the thing you know it's not you know it's not up to your presentation but the power of the Holy Spirit and but you've had that that opportunity to stand there as God is saving someone right before your eyes I mean it's joy unspeakable it's joy unspeakable and somehow, by, by God's grace, he would use a wreck like Paul and a wreck like me. And I know from firsthand experience, if he can use a wreck like me, then he can use you too. And so Paul, 
Paul says, not just you. Why don't, we might as well, everybody here might as well just go ahead and surrender to Jesus since we're all here. Verse 30. And the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they were withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. But you remember Jesus told Paul he was going to Rome. He was going to Rome. And externally, things were not going to go, go well. But God had saved him not only from something, that, but to something. And because of Paul's obedience to share the gospel whenever the Holy Spirit prompted him. That's why we're here today. Because when he plants that church in Rome, Rome becomes the center of all Western communication for the modern world. And in just a very short time, just a few hundred years, the majority of Romans know who Jesus is because of the obedience and faithfulness of one guy. So here's the point. Here's the point. If you're a Christian, then you have been placed on purpose as an ambassador for Christ for the ministry of reconciliation. Now, the same guy that's trying to share his faith with King Agrippa while he's on trial, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what he says. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not necessarily a new vocation, but he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen. This is a newsflash for some of you. Especially if you're a new Christian. You can't even believe you show up to church. I understand. Did you know that if you're a Christian, you're a minister? That you have a ministry. And it might not be pastoral ministry or student ministry or, or music ministry. But every single person that claims Jesus Christ as Lord has the ministry of reconciliation. That you would have such an attitude of gratitude because he had reconciled us unto him. That it would compel us to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to whoever he leads us to so that those people could be reconciled unto him. And so we have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, it says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Dictionary defines ambassador as an authorized messenger or representative. Isn't that crazy? Did you ever think you'd be an authorized messenger from God? I know. Your mother-in-law would be so impressed, wouldn't she? (laughs) But that's what the Bible says you are. An authorized messenger or representative. Another definition. A diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign to another as its resident representative. That you and I are ambassadors for Christ, that God is making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So, let me ask you this. Who has placed, who has God placed in your life that needs to be reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus? Did you know that he has called you to be the representative? That he has called you to to not only demonstrate the gospel by acting like you believe in Jesus, but declaring the gospel by just sharing what Paul shared here. 
This is what my life was like before Jesus. This is how I came to surrender my life to Christ. And that's why I'm here today. Because I want you to be able to have what I have. To be reconciled to God. So who has God placed in your life that needs to be reconciled to Jesus? And if it's true that God will always provide everything you need to accomplish whatever he has called you to accomplish, then what do you need from him tonight? Do you need courage? Do you need the words? Do you need to read some scriptures so that you can explain what the gospel is? Because I'm telling you, if you lean in to accomplish his purposes for the mission that he has you on tomorrow at school or at work or in your neighborhood or wherever it is, then you can say what Paul said to this very day. I have had help that comes from God. The major part of this movement that we call the Church of 1122 is because, because God's been saving men and women and students and children in this place, and you haven't kept your mouth shut. That you've got a personal relationship with Jesus, but that's not a private matter. And that you've been faithful and obedient to the Spirit moving in you, and you've been bold enough to open your mouth and invite people to come hear the gospel or invite people to hear your story. And so who is it? Who is it right now that God has placed in your life that needs to be reconciled unto him? Hear me, church. If you know Jesus, you are an ambassador. You are a messenger from God on behalf of God Almighty. That those people in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, wherever, could be reconciled to an almighty God. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you pursue us even in our darkest hour. God, we thank you so much that our faith in you, our life in you, God, it's not about um, behavior modification. It's not about sin management. It's about abiding in you. It's about leaning into you. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, that we would see as you see. Because when we see as you see, we can do what you say. Lord, I pray that pray that we would open our eyes and we would look around. Holy Spirit, that we would be sensitive to your nudges, that we would receive power, Holy Spirit, when you come upon us and that we would be your witnesses. God, we're not looking to be weird. We're just looking to be witnesses. Lord, we're just, we're, we're just humbled that you would, you would call us to be ambassadors. Lord, we can't believe that you would ask us to join you in the ministry of reconciliation. God, we know we can't reconcile anybody's heart to you. We can put on display our lives. We can open our mouths. And we can give an invitation. And we can answer questions. And we can try to meet some needs. And we can pray like crazy and beg you, Holy Spirit, to move. And so, God, I pray for a supernatural dose of Holy Spirit-inspired courage in this place. That tomorrow, tomorrow, we wouldn't even wait a few days, but tomorrow, we make a phone call. We'd set up an appointment. We'd take a friend to coffee. We would enter into a conversation that's oftentimes uncomfortable for us because we trust you. Because we live for your approval and not the approval of man. And God, we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to carry the pressure of success because you change hearts, not us. But we thank you and we praise you and we love you in Jesus' name.
Hey, listen, we respond. Worship is response to who God is and what He's done. And here's how I want us to respond. If you're a regular here, you can bring your tithes and offerings to the giving boxes of the kiosk. But what I want to spend time here is, is we have these altars here. And if, and if as soon as I mention who's that person in your life and God just dropped that name or that face in your mind, why don't you come to the altar and just beg God to move? And just beg God to move in you and to give you the courage and the boldness to be obedient to the heavenly vision that He has given you tonight. Won't you come?